If you are once again visiting with us, it's a typical pattern for us here as we gather at FAC as a church body to always pick up God's Word and take a look at what He would have to say to us. And so um, this afternoon, I want to do that once more. And uh, we've been working through a three-week series through the book of Isaiah. Uh, There's a couple of chapters there. Um, The past three weeks, looking really to prepare our hearts and our minds for Christmas. Uh, And so this afternoon, I'd like to turn our attention to Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah 7, I'm going to read verses 10 through 14 and uh, take a few minutes to reflect on that, talk about this passage a little bit. Um, I'll I'll pray after I read, and then we'll reflect on the text. And really, I want us to see how this fits in with the story that was read earlier uh, from the book of Matthew. Uh, We'll do that during our time together. And so Isaiah chapter 7, verses 10 through 14. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol, or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And Father, as we come together to celebrate the birth of Jesus here today, would you open our eyes to the wonder of your righteous acts? Would we remember your amazing work through the birth of Jesus and sing praises to your name? Come to our aid now, Lord, as we seek to know you through your word preached. Thank you, Lord, for revealing yourself to us in the person of Jesus. For it's in his name we pray these things. Amen. I have four young children uh, at home, and uh, they're very eager for tomorrow morning for Christmas, as I'm sure many of the children here are as well. Um, In the midst of Christmas chaos and the holiday festivities, we always try and focus our children's attention on the important things of Christmas. Right, we, we regularly share the meaning of Christmas, uh, and if there's one thing that I want my children to know, it, it's that Christmas is all about presents. The reason we celebrate is because of presents. Now, before you berate me as a terrible father, hear me out. Um, when I say that Christmas is, present, is all about presents, I'm not referring to the gift boxes that are nestled safely under your Christmas tree that you and your family will lay waste to tomorrow morning. I am referring to presence as in the act of being present. When someone is in close proximity to you, they are present. You know and you feel their presence. And the concept of presence is powerful. It's a powerful notion, is it not? Depending on who is present and what circumstances they are present for can alter the course of human history, as we've seen. Presence, it gives us comfort. As a young child wakes up from the nightmare and goes into mom and dad's bed and snuggles up close, just the presence of mom and dad bring comfort. 
puts them at ease. Presence gives rest, respite. As you've experienced a, a stressful day at work, a stressful workload at school, full of anxiety, falling into the arms of a loved one at the end of the day provides respite, just their presence. Presence can bring gladness and cheer. A long-lost friend or family member returns home, their very presence. They don't even need to say a word. They just need to be there, and it brings joy. Presence can even bring rescue. For the one who is trapped in a burning building, the presence of a fireman means salvation. Those are all positive aspects of presence, but presence also has the power to bring about negative circumstances. If your greatest enemy were to walk into the room, their very presence would be intimidating. And it would instill a certain amount of fear in your heart. In the passage that I read in Isaiah just a moment ago, that is the situation that King Ahaz finds himself in. If you're unfamiliar with the story, Ahaz, he is a king. And he is a king of a nation called Judah. And at this point in time, Ahaz has just found out and realized that there are two nations to the north of him that have formed an alliance and they intend to come in and conquer and invade Judah. And the presence of this imminent national threat has generated much fear in the heart of King Ahaz. However, the purpose of this passage that we read is that that God wants Ahaz to know that he doesn't have to fear this threat, the presence of the threat, because there is a greater presence than the presence of the threat at hand. Let's briefly walk through the passage together that we read in Isaiah 7, and then we'll connect it to the the, the story, the narrative of Jesus' birth uh, that we read throughout our time um, today. In verse 10, God speaks to King Ahaz through a prophet, Isaiah, and And God tells Ahaz to ask for a sign. Ahaz, I will give you a signal, if you will. I'll give you evidence that this northern alliance will not overcome Judah, that they won't come in and overtake your territory, your nation. This is a sign that God is telling the truth, that he's going to come through on his word. And not only that, God says that it's a sign that can be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. Sometimes throughout various situations of life, whether you believe in God or not, are there times where you call to him and say, Lord, just give me a sign. God, give me a sign that you're in this, that you're giving me direction here. Send a sign. And here in Isaiah, we see that God actually offers a sign up to Ahaz in a difficult circumstance. And not only that, he says that it can be as deep as Sheol and as high as heaven. The the term Sheol in this culture was known as the place of the dead. In a literal sense, it was the underworld. It was the grave. It was where bodies were buried after they passed away. And so what God is essentially offering King Ahaz is the opportunity to ask for a sign from God, carte blanche. The magnitude of Ahaz's request could be stretched as high as the heavens, the stars, and as low as the depths of the earth. We would say that God was willing to move the heavens and the earth for Ahaz at this moment. This is what the interaction looks like. Ahaz, how much evidence is enough? How much evidence is enough for you to believe that you have nothing to fear? 
How much do you need to see in order to put your faith and trust in me? Just say the word and you've got it, Ahaz. You name it and I will give it to you. It sounds like an offer that Ahaz can't refuse. Ultimately, this verse is a call for Ahaz to trust God and God is willing to do what it takes to back it up, to show Ahaz that his faith is a firm faith. What we see in this verse is that God relentlessly pursues King Ahaz. God pulls out all of the stops to try and move King Ahaz to a place of faith. God is throwing up a softball here to Ahaz and giving him every opportunity to believe. God is inviting Ahaz into faith, into belief. And even just the slightest, tiniest morsel of faith in the heart of Ahaz, would be confirmed by this sign. God says, test me. See that I'm good on my word. See that I follow through on my promises. And you can just see the character of God's heart as he so longs for King Ahaz to trust him. Yet in verse 12, we come to find that Ahaz will not ask for a sign. He's not going to put the Lord to the test. It says he refuses to take God up on his offer. Now, there's other places in the Bible that actually say we shouldn't put God to the test because it could certainly be a mark of unbelief. And perhaps Ahaz is trying to look good and hide behind those verses. However, in this context, it's not testing God to do what he has asked Ahaz to do. Right? Whether the testing of God is right or wrong, really depends on who initiates it. If I initiate it, if I ask God for a sign, it very well could indicate a heart of unbelief, a struggle of unbelief. But to refuse a sign that has been offered by God himself, initiated by God, as is the case with Ahaz, that is proof, not that there's unbelief, but that Ahaz does not want to believe. He refuses to believe. It's not as if Ahaz struggles with unbelief, but rather He refuses to believe despite all the evidence that God has offered. For Ahaz, this is a willful unbelief. And Ahaz makes his plans for the kingdom and deliberately leaves God out of the plan. But God will not be left out of the plan. Right? Ahaz probably thinks that he's formulating the plan, but in reality, God has already written the plan. He's already written the future. He's already implementing the plan. And he informs Ahaz as such in verse 14. God says, you know what, Ahaz, despite your unbelief, I'm going to give you a sign anyway. I'm going to give you a sign that when you see it, you will know that I was telling you the truth about this northern alliance, that you need not fear them, that I will save you from them. And so this sign is no longer offered by God as a way to persuade Ahaz to faith. It's now offered as a way to prove that God comes through on his word. He comes through on his promises. And this this sign, this signal, has everything to do with the birth of this child who will be named Emmanuel. This is what we would call a prophecy. And oftentimes, prophecies in the Old Testament, they have a single meaning but a double significance. A single meaning that means only one thing, but it has a double significance. This is what I mean by that. That name, Emmanuel, it literally means God with us. And so the sign is meant to communicate that this transcendent God 
who is above and beyond earth, outside of time itself, is actually present with us, that we can know his presence. And and, and such presence shows us that we don't need to fear because he's going to fight our battles for us. That's what God is telling King Ahaz. That's the meaning of the sign. But as I mentioned, it has double significance, both a significance in, in the historical sense specific to Ahaz and his time, and a second significance, which is much broader, which the gospel writer Matthew touches on. Um, For Ahaz, there probably was a child born in Ahaz's time whose name was Emmanuel. And when Ahaz saw this baby, he would know that his trust was misplaced. Upon seeing this child, the nation of Judah as a whole would know that God is active Uh, He's an active God in his creation. This child, this literal, this child in Ahaz's time would be a symbolic hope of God's presence in a dark time of national difficulty. They they would know God's presence in a symbolic sense. It it would be a nice sentiment, right? That, okay, we, we could trust God in spirit. He is with us in spirit. In this particular case, it's like when a loved one can't join you for the holidays, and what do they say to you? They say, I'm with you in spirit. I can't be there physically, but I am with you in spirit. That is the kind of how Judah would experience God's presence at this point. They, they would see this child named Emmanuel, and they would know of God's presence, even though they couldn't physically see them. They could feel his comfort. They could, feel, they, they could enjoy all the benefits of God's presence, even though they couldn't physically see him at this point. However, this child, this sign, this signal, if you will, while fulfilling Isaiah's prophecy in the immediate sense on a smaller scale for a specific situation, would also serve as a foreshadowing of one who will come that will fulfill the prophecy in its fullest sense. And this is where Matthew comes into the story as he writes about this baby who was born. We read it this evening, and in the story that we read, in Matthew 1, verses 21 and 22 is where I want to dial in. Matthew applies the prophecy in Isaiah to baby Jesus, and in doing so, Matthew makes the application of the prophecy both larger and literal. He makes it larger and he makes it literal. Here's what I mean by that. First, It's larger in the sense that it impacts a larger number of people with a larger problem. Originally, the prophecy that Isaiah gives to King Ahaz had an an immediate fulfillment that only affected the nation of Judah and their own deliverance from a specific political threat. A particular situation at a particular time, a specific time, at a specific place. Yet Matthew writes that this baby born of the Virgin Mary shall be named Jesus for he will save people from their sins. Once again, in a larger, uh, once again, a larger number of people with a larger problem, sin. It's, it's the dark stain on our lives as a result of living not according to God's way, going against how God would have us live uh, and instead living our own way. The word sin can actually literally mean missing the mark, to miss the mark. God has set up a standard, a perfect standard, and we've missed the mark. Sin is like a sticky 
gunk that just kind of clings to your soul that you can't clean up because the more that you try and clean it up, you just get yourself more dirty. Not only have you not removed it from its original spot, now it's all over yourself. The, The sticky gunk, it just spreads relentlessly through all aspects of your life. It taints our minds. It taints our soul. It taints our body. It taints our worldview. Sin affects everything. And worst of all, as a result, we uh, have a penalty. There is a penalty for missing the mark. And that penalty is death. Sin leads to death. Sin is the reason death is in the world, that we experience it, which is why sin is the largest problem that we face in the entire world. And there's not a single one of us who is not affected by sin. This is a universal problem throughout all of time. As Matthew writes, he addresses a larger number of people, everybody, with a larger problem, sin. But here is the beauty of what Matthew writes of this baby Jesus. Matthew one twenty one: she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save people from their sins. This sign is for a larger number of people with a larger problem, but God has a larger solution than all of that, and his name is Jesus. A name that literally means God is salvation. God saves. There are a lot of ideas out there about who Jesus is and why he came. And Matthew lays it out very clearly here. Jesus came to save sinners. It can't get any more clear than that. The main reason that Jesus came, the main reason we celebrate his birth here at Christmas time tomorrow, the main mission that he was on was to save people from the sin written on their hearts. Many contemporaries kind of muddy who Jesus is and what he came here to do. Was he just a good man? Was he merely a good teacher just to instruct us on the difference between right and wrong? Was he here to heal the sick, right? To, to give to the poor, to take care of the poor? Yes, while he was all of those things, make no mistake, Matthew explicitly states his primary mission. The main reason he was here was to save sinners. Kevin DeYoung, he's a pastor of a church in North Carolina. He puts it well. This is what he writes, that more than a great teacher, more than an enlightened man, more than a worker of miracles, more than giving us meaning in life, more than a self-help guru, more than a self-esteem builder, more than a political liberator, more than a caring friend, more than a transformer of cultures, more than a purpose for the purposeless, Jesus is a savior of sinners. We experience the presence of sin, which is a large problem, yet God has given us a solution in Jesus, which is where Matthew makes the application of Isaiah's prophecy, not just larger, but also literal. In in Isaiah, the prophecy in its immediate context was meant to provide the Judeans with a figurative sense of, of God's presence. But we, what we find here in Matthew is an interpretation of the prophecy, which is not a figurative sentiment, but an actual physical reality. That Jesus will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Matthew, once again, is making it perfectly clear that not only has Jesus come to save sinners, but Jesus is God in the flesh. 
that God himself literally came to be with us in the person of Jesus Christ. With this, we see that God is not just some sort of mystical force. He's not just an abstract ideological construct. He is a person. He is a person who wishes greatly to be personally present with his creation. So much so that God took on flesh and dwelt among us. God, in the person of Jesus, has come all the way to us. And he didn't ask us to meet him halfway. He came the full way. And he fully walked in our shoes and experienced the fullness of humanity, including death. If if death is the largest problem in the world, we can find great hope in the fact that Jesus walked with us all the way into the tomb. And having gone in with us and before us, he can now by his divine power bring us out with him as death could not hold him down. You see, Christmas and Easter are connected. You cannot separate the two. Jesus was fully man, fully God, submitted himself to death and then conquered the grave. And now everyone who believes and trusts in him can also conquer the grave, that is how he saves sinners. And this is what I mean when I tell my children that Christmas is all about presence. The presence of God was required because of the presence of sin in our lives. The presence of God was required because of the presence of sin in our lives. And please know that to this day, God still pursues us and he is still invites us into belief and is still relentlessly inviting us into faith like he did with King Ahaz all those years ago. Earlier, I made a comment about Ahaz and how much Ahaz do you need to see to put your faith and trust in God? How great of a sign do you need? And many people perhaps in this room are sitting in the same seat as King Ahaz. How much more of a sign do you need to see? to believe that God exists and that he is for you and that he is pursuing you. You want a sign from God? He gave you one in the birth of Jesus. He's revealed everything we need to know about him in Jesus. There's nothing more that God can give. There's no, you talk about moving heaven and earth. He stepped down into earth himself. There's nothing more that he can give as he's given himself. There's no greater sign than that. God can't be any more clear. And so this Christmas, my prayer for you is that perhaps for the first time, you would see who God really is in Jesus. And as we celebrate, you would turn to him for your salvation. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, for this we give you praise. Lord, thank you for coming the full way. Thank you, Father, um, that you have not left us to our own vices. You have not left us to figure this out alone, Lord, but you have come. Your son, Jesus, being fully God, has shown us the way. And now we can fully know God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit through the work of Jesus. And I thank you, Lord, that before Jesus left here, he promised 
his presence by your Holy Spirit. And so now, Lord, I ask that in this very moment, as the Holy Spirit is present, that you would stir the hearts and minds of men and women who have yet to see you. Would you click on a light, the light of the world, and would we give praise through your Son, Jesus. For it's in his holy name we pray. Amen.